0: Hello clinicians and hello my peers. As I promised you in our intro, I'm going to be joined by two amazing co-hosts for the season. And I want them to introduce themselves. And after they do, we're just going to play a bit of a trivia game just so you can get to know who are the two co-hosts I have on board with me. And I want to remind you firstly how this came about. So you'll recall in season two, we had an episode around an organization called Frontline Refuge and there was this amazing guest. Dr. Precious Chikura, and she really, really helped us see that there was such a great depth to the mental health awareness we needed as healthcare workers. And after the episode, I contacted her and I was like, listen, we have to do this. We have to connect on a deeper level around mental health of healthcare workers. And she said yes to doing a season on mental health. So that's our first guest. And our second guest is Benicia Godan. She is a superstar working for the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, has served student populations as well as doctors in many ways, and is always around our community and hearing very intensely and very deeply some of the challenges we're going through. So I think these are just two brilliant minds to get around as it pertains to helping us see ourselves and getting more aware about our mental wellness journey. So welcome to you, ladies. Um, I don't know if there's anything you'd like to add to your personal introductions that I may have missed. You're welcome to do so. Precious, I'll let you go first.
1: Um, thank you for introducing me so nicely. Um, I'm really happy to be part of this um, series. I think it's really important, as you've outlined before. Um, And I think the only thing I would add is that I'm a medical doctor, I'm currently a junior doctor, so I'm really in the throes of the topic that we are discussing. They are personal to me, but also, you know, it's something that I've decided to form an NPO around. So that's me in a nutshell.
0: Awesome. And I mean, while people are here and it's still fresh in their minds, tell them how they can reach you and tell them a bit about Frontline Refuge and what it is that you're doing.
1: So. Frontline Refuge started just in the beginning of COVID last year, and it it really was a very small effort with a few counsellors to provide healthcare, you know, mental healthcare on a virtual platform because we had gone into lockdown level five and we just couldn't go anywhere and people felt very isolated and healthcare workers were quite anxious because they were really... At the coal face of everything that was happening, but they also didn't know what was going on themselves. but were placed in this position of almost authority. And so that's kind of how things started. So it started in a small way, a few counselors volunteering providing free care. And because of that kind of overwhelming response we received, we decided to formalize it and make it an NPO and create an online platform. So currently we are on Facebook. So all of our platforms, it's Frontline Refuge. We're on Facebook. We're on uh, Twitter, and we are also we also have a website, frontlinerefuge dot com. So you can reach us on any of those platforms if you are looking for free mental health care as a healthcare worker.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you so much. And guys, if you, if you need that support, please do engage it. It is available to you. And I'm sure Venicia will see, share the same about the very well-known South African depression and anxiety group. AV. Hey, let us know a bit about you. If there's something I missed in the introduction.
2: No, you didn't miss much, but I'm, I'm so glad that you said that I'm a superstar. I love that. That's so funny. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I are don't really <laughs> feel like that, but thank you so much. Um, I think um, the one thing I would like to add is just that um, my my passion for students and my passion for medical students is, is so there. And now with this COVID space, I think it's so needed because we are going to need our young doctors, our student doctors to be at the forefront, but we need to be able to support them so they can then support us. And that's something that I'm extremely passionate about.
0: Thank you so much, ladies. It's an honor to do this work with you. And I mean, both of you have highlighted on the realities of COVID. I mean, when we're shooting, we're under adjusted lockdown level 4, Delta wave is coming in heavy lambdas apparently here now. I was like, what is going on? Um, there's another variant to fight. And I mean, the, the title of this episode is normally I'm not okay. So maybe just as a moment to debrief a, a bit, how are you really? I mean, do you often find yourself in the state of just chronically not okay and comfortable with it? And what has it been like for you to navigate COVID in that state?
2: I'm going to let Fishes
1: go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think for me, yeah, yeah, it's a big question. Normally I'm not okay is is very relevant in my life. And I think, you know, particularly in my professional life. COVID, I think, you know, we've spoken about this before, how these issues are not new. Um all is in there. And I think what COVID did was really introduce a higher level of instability. You know, mm-hmm. higher, higher peaks of cortisol and adrenaline and lower, you know, troughs where you're just seeing a lot more death and that yeah. death also being personal to you because a, a lot of it was personal. So I would say that COVID accelerated some of these things and sort of brought them out to the light, but, but they were always there. And for me mm-hmm. personally, I have been in that up and down of what's going on with the depression, with the burnout, with the languishing. Yeah. And also just tackling it on my own and also tackling it with professionals. I think I'm fortunate to be in the part of my journey where I've identified that there are problems (laughs) and not a lot of people have. So for me, I'm working through it and consistently working through it, but it's not an easy journey. So I'd give myself a a six out of 10 right now.
2: (laughs) Sure. Good though. Mm. Yeah. Good for now. You know, six out of 10 is good for now. I mean, Mm. with, with being at SADAG for so many years now. And Mm. I think with me, it was, you know, pre COVID and when they said they were going to, we were going to have this lockdown, I thought, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be working from home, which is super exciting because I'm not going to travel right? Awesome. Mm -hmm. Not traveling. And I'm going to have so much time to do my admin and actually work on things that, you know, that I, I put aside or I say, you know, I'm going to do this project. I'm going to fund this project or make it better. And surprisingly, Saturday got three times busier, Mm -hmm. more projects, more mental health assistance. I mean, To actually have that availability of the helplines and the access to to, to like sort of telephonic counseling was wow because so many more people needed it. And what we saw was, you know, and it's one of the things that I've mentioned so very often, is that even those that have never experienced anxiety before, never experienced this feeling of being overwhelmed, are all experiencing this. It's because... In a way, to be honest, we've lost our sense of freedom. And that's something I think as South Africans, we, we love that. We love to go outside. We love to be able to go for coffee, shopping, things like that. And our weather is such that, you know what? You want to go out for that drink Mm -hmm. in an open area or closed area. And it's just, it's, we can't do that anymore. It's those things that I think, and I think that languishing concept is, is, is wonderful to think of and actually actualize because mm. we're not we're not able to do those little things that before gave us that sense of self-care. We're mm. having to now adapt it to our spaces. And that becomes a little bit harder because we have to relearn them
1: almost. Yeah. And create new ways. Yes. Yeah. And what works for us.
2: Cause I mean, some people a puzzle will work for another one painting, another mm. one meditating, some yoga, but can you do yoga at home? Is it the same as going to a, to a studio?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You trust you guys to get me off script. Like I had a. <laughs> <laughs> I had a plan. And am oh, so kind of like oh. <laughs> about the script because wow, the things that you guys are saying are so important. I really had a plan. You guys said such cool, important things, and I think the one that I want to touch on before we introduce sort of the emotion word we're dealing with is this concept of people just not being aware of the many emotions or feeling them for the first time. We said, you know, a lot of people are feeling anxiety. Mm. For the time. And I think that's the point of the season is I think over this past year everybody's had a heightened experience of emotional or mental unwellness. And there are many things we felt that we don't have a vocabulary for, particularly healthcare workers who've had to push through supporting the entire country so that they could be the frontline heroes. And I mean, even that phrase we know how how triggering Triggering it is. But I mean, for the most part, that's the only word people had to use, how they felt they triggered. And the point of the season is to empower people to have more words, but also to be more aware of what certain emotions feel like. And both of you alluded to this word that that is really new to all of us, and it's languishing. And I think many people who listen to our podcast would be surprised to hear what languishing actually means. So I'm gonna dig into a bit of of the definition. And this is from an incredible article written by Adam Grant in the New York Times earlier this year. So you can Google it. It's available online. And he said languishing is the negative middle child of mental health. It's the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. You don't have symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. Languishing dulls your motivation, disrupts your ability to focus, and triples the odds that you'll cut back on work. It appears to be more common than major depression. Did you hear that? It appears to be more common than major depression, and in some ways, it may be a bigger risk factor for mental illness. The term was coined by a sociologist named Corey Keyes who were struck that many people who weren't depressed also weren't thriving. His research suggests that the people most likely to experience major depression and anxiety disorders in the next decade aren't those with those symptoms today. They're the people who are languishing right now. And new evidence from the pandemic healthcare workers in Italy shows that those who were languishing in the spring of 2020 were three times more likely than their peers to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Part of the danger is that when you're languishing, you might not notice the dulling of delight or the dwindling of drive. You don't catch yourself slipping away slowly into solitude you're indifferent to your indifference when you can't see your own suffering you don't seek help or even do much to help yourself I mean was that not 2020 in a nutshell <laughs> Yeah <laughs> It was 2020 up. and
2: then 2022.0 oh, which is now this year Yeah right? <laughs> it
1: just doesn't
0: end does <laughs> I, mean, I personally remember feeling that dulling, dwindling of delight. But it wasn't until I read the article I was like, "Oh, my God. I was languishing. Mm. Oh, I am
1: languishing." And it helped, is- It helps so much to put that word to it when you're like, "There's a word. There's a definition." A because you know, oh, I'm not in a major depressive episode, but I'm also not 100%. Am I burning out? Am I what? And, you know, it's not really the right word until you hear languishing. Stagnation and emptiness. That's what it yes, is. Yes,
2: that's stagnation and emptiness. And yes. that actually, like, even though you want to, so in, in in what I've noticed, like with a lot of talks I've done, so I, I interact with so many medical students, and with a lot of talks that you do and the questions that come up, often they don't know when they've stopped doing the things that they enjoy. And like in our minds, you're thinking that, okay, stop doing things you enjoy. Your eating is not the same. You're sleeping. You know, go to a psychologist, you know, get uh, a diagnosis. But it's not that simple. It's Mm. not. It's not that simple. It's so different because we have an experience that is outside of us. That is impacting the way we are feeling. It's not
3: actually yeah.
1: us. And it's also, I think, for me, when I was reading this article, I mean, there's so many points. I think this article should just be printed and studied. <laughs> and but and shared, <laughs> but there's, so, <laughs> there's so many points. I think looking at the spectrum and saying, okay, you know, depression on one side and flourishing on one side,
3: yeah.
1: I think the three words that you were highlighted and where we should kind of be aimed to be is having that sense of meaning, mastery, and mattering. Mm-hmm. And when you look at healthcare workers and the context that they're in, right, COVID has accelerated it, but looking at us normally in the context that we're in, all three of those sort of domains are attacked and kind of grinded down that sense of meaning, you know, why am I here? What am I doing? What exactly am I doing every day? And what is it leading to that sense of mastery? You know, you are a junior in your job, or even when you're a senior in your job, you don't feel like you've mastered it every day. It feels yeah. like it was winging it. You are trusted yeah. to save lives, but you don't feel equipped all the time to do it. And having that sense of mattering, it's grinded down on a daily basis in a system that doesn't give you agency. So it's very easy to kind of see how you get to that point of languishing and how you aren't going to flourish. No, you aren't. You aren't. In
3: you, that you system. aren't.
2: You aren't. And I promise you, when you just said that, I thought about that one sentence and I promise you, I highlighted it and I was like, this is important. It's mm. like, it's a search for bliss in a bleak day. Yeah. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's that it's, you know, you just, you're searching for that one thing that's gonna that's gonna help you say I'm flourishing, I'm yeah. thriving, and you're looking for it and looking for it, but you're not really dealing with what I'm feeling in this bleakness or feeling yeah. in this you know this space that I'm in right now. It's more of the anticipation,
3: yeah,
2: that that I'm going to go home and I'm going to do this. But often because you're languishing, you're unable to like go and do that exercise or you know, go and do something that you would enjoy and would be a self-care space. Yes. And and you often don't do it. You just think, "Ah, oh, I'm going to do it tomorrow then. And then you know, it's
0: consistent. As mm-hmm. as you're speaking, Via, it's just like, as you're describing this idea of anticipation, I think something that in the profession we, we've affectionately coined, the term we've affectionately coined, like something like pre-cold depression is probably languishing. <laughs> Those are the moments when we're really languishing, you know, the, and and we've we've got like our internal jargon to describe what the cause is, but again, we don't have the emotional vocabulary to highlight the state of of despair. And I think there is a bit of despair that exists in language. Mm. Because of what we have to in, endure and what we're anticipating we're going to have to endure. You know, you're going to go on call. You're going to certify X amount of people who are going to die. You're going to be under resourced. There's going to be no PPE. I mean, it's just I'm not going to see. You might not eat. People are going to be mad at you when you try and eat, you know, all those things. There's so much to language, language in the day to day experience. So this idea of just. You know, anticipating and dreading, for lack of a better term, what you're about to experience is almost, it's normal. And I think that's the scary part for healthcare professionals. Mm. Scary people live their lives that way, but that becomes almost the standard of mental wellness. So yeah, to you, which is there isn't even room to acknowledge the spectrum. And what I love about the word languishing is that it almost, it defines the middle. It says, Hey, and in the middle, is this place called languishing? Sure. So, it's what does it look? Middle.
2: Like? It's that it's middle. A... That middle. And that yeah. middle is where this, I think, and uh, you know, like where that stigma lies as well. Because I mean, because you're in the middle, you don't yeah, know where you middle. are. Yeah, right? we're all the in the middle, and we don't know. And especially healthcare workers. I mean, doctors. I mean, psychologists, the physios, yeah. the whole the whole bang-shoe to them. Actually, they don't know, like, should I ask for help? I I don't think I'm doing that badly, so I don't need to ask for help. I'm I'm fine. I'm managing until it is too late. And I think that's something that needs to change. It needs to change. If you're feeling even a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit stressed, a little bit, you know, under the weather, and I want to say under the weather, but even if you're feeling that bit, Reach out. I think that's what we need to, it needs to be the Mm. new space. It needs to be the new normal.
1: Mm. And just also outlining, I think, you know, as you said, like I I was thinking back to when I was doing pediatrics as an intern and the first day that we're there, the HOD was like, kids is hectic. It is very emotional. Mm. You will feel things. And she was like, you need to come to us when you have a problem. And they pointed out the people that we must come to and Mm -hmm. they gave us all those resources in the beginning. And that contrasted so differently from other blocks where, you know, you experience also heightened emotions and all of these things in the sense that it gave you the permission not to be okay. And it almost, Mm -hmm. it almost normalized the fact that you will experience a level of despair. We all have experienced this level of despair. Come and speak to us. It's okay to speak to us. Uh-huh. And that's something that doesn't happen often enough because it's not the conversation that we're having now is not to say that these emotions shouldn't happen and they won't happen, but it's about the fact that they will happen and how do we make sure that there's a safety need when they do. Mm,
2: that's safe space. Yes. Just to
1: be able to share that little block Mm, of space. So you don't get stuck in that space. Yes, exactly.
0: Mm. But I feel like, I mean, you're both in the safe space, right? You both do (laughs) that work (laughs) on a day-to-day basis create the safe spaces people engage you in the safe spaces but as you both were speaking i was almost stuck with the tension of okay so we've identified that languishing is this middle we've identified that it's not either extreme on the spectrum so you're not depressed but you're not flourishing but then there's this real tension around really genuinely feeling not okay because you are languishing mm. But you can operate and you can function. Mm. You're just not thriving. So, I mean, what does it look like to help people who are, um, who are still able to, like, their activities of daily, daily living are not inhibited, but they're mentally not in a place where they, they're, they're flourishing or they're moving well enough, um, that they should actually stop and care for it. I'm not sure that I'm, um, articulating this well but I hope you get the sense that you know I think part of the problem is that people's people can you can languish and still work and that's true and then it really well, that's the sad. main
1: thing that's the main yeah. thing and that's I think sad. that is honestly that is the most difficult question to answer I've been asking myself this question for so long and I recently had a conversation mm-hmm. with one of the counselors on our platform who was reaching out and saying, because she's also part of the healthcare workers network. And and she was saying that on both sides. So with us in Frontline Refuge, and for them, they are having problems with healthcare workers actually reaching out for help yeah. for the resources yeah. that are there. Right. So you are experiencing the yeah. languishing, but you're functioning. So you're not reaching out because, mm-hmm. you know, that's where you are. And so I haven't been able to answer this question. And I think a lot of counselors also Are just sitting and wondering what to do because the resources there, but people are not reaching out. And notoriously, it's doctors. Notoriously, notoriously.
2: yes. Like with us running, so with us last year we started the Healthcare Workers Care Network, and it's a twenty-four hour helpline, and it's you know it's Mm. a service available. And in addition to that, it's also those pro bono sessions with psychologists Mm who have Mm. lovely volunteer their time. But I think. It's exactly that, is that they're in that space. They're in that space where I'm, I'm doing my work. I'm continuing. I know I'm not feeling well, but I'm still producing. So I'm still being productive. So I'll be okay. I'm still in that okay space. But I think it's, and this is something just personal for me, is that when I read this article, it put me in that space of awareness. Yeah. Like the word puts you in that space of awareness, like, oh my goodness, there's a word for how I'm feeling. So that means clearly I'm not flourishing.
0: That part's, yes,
3: mm. there's a better place I can be.
2: Mm. Yes. You know, it's like, it's, it's because you, you're naming it exactly how, um, Precious meant it earlier. She's like, you're naming it. You, you're giving it a, a name so that you can understand it and actualize it. And I think that's what comes. It's an awareness. That's why I love this article so
0: much. Mm. <laughs> that awesome. this article. Listen, guys, we we're probably going to tag it when we post this episode. Yes, we have to. <laughs> yes. Have to. But I almost wanted to play devil's advocate to, I think it was Precious's comment just around, you know, people not reaching out. I think we are. I think we're just not reaching out mm-hmm. using the resources that, that are correct because we haven't identified it as a problem. So I'll use myself Mm. as an example. For me, I would have put languishing under the banner of pressure. I'm just under pressure. It's just pressure and I'm just trying to navigate the pressure. So what do I do when I'm under pressure? I feed my emotions. I buy every burger I can find because that helps me. And as long as my emotions can keep quiet while I'm chewing and chewing helps me keep them quiet. Then I can move on, and I can operate, and I can function For somebody else, it's drinking, which we know alcoholism is increasing in our community in recent states. you know uh, for somebody else, it's overspending. So I think it's not that we aren't dealing with it. I think it's that we haven't accurately identified that this is negative. this is a problem. Yes. And so we need better coping mechanisms than mm, our default yes. Coping mechanisms. Yes, so that's mm. why, even though the resources are available, nobody's reaching out because I have a way of handling this. And and maybe it's also about highlighting our unhealthy coping mechanisms and highlighting the value of counseling and the value of therapy Mm, to teach us the tools we need to, to cope with the state better.
2: Yes, exactly that. And Mm. I think that's, 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 it touches so much on like being aware of yourself Mm. and of others. And you know, like when you have, you have a loved one that you're always going to vent to. You're always going to speak mm. to. Often they're the ones that are able to like tell you and put it into perspective. You're like, oh, but yes. you know, you're not doing well. I, I can see this. And I think if more of that happens and we actually say, yes, we're not. Oh, okay. What, what am I going to do about it? I think that's where it comes also. Like, what am I going to do? about my awareness of how I'm feeling and how I'm dealing with it and exactly using that
0: positive coping skills. Sure. But I actually wanted to ask, v to that point of, you know, hoping you would have family or people around you can help identify. I do, and this might be an anecdote personally, I do feel that a lot of doctors are in the position where they're not just a strong friend, they're the strong family member, particularly now. You know, when your mom's friend is coughing with COVID, you get the phone call. You know, when when somebody needs to buy a pill, you get the question about the script. So we're not just this like we're the strong people. So I don't I think the problem is our environments expect us to not be languishing as well. So what do we do yeah. to, to educate the people around us that bro, I'm not okay. Like can it's you back for one?
2: It's
0: being yeah, that right
2: tough off. one. Can you tackle for a minute? It's, just hold on. I think it's being that tough one and you're absolutely right. You're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, I do get calls. I do, I mean, because I've been at SADEC for so many years, I know so many people. I have access to so many resources. And I think I am that person that always gets that call. If mm-hmm. anybody is not feeling well, they're feeling stressed. And I think you know, and I know I say this and boundaries are so important, but I think mm-hmm. because you're the tough one and you want to, you want to actually help. And I think that's where the passion comes from behind, you know, that, that little bit of passion that keeps pushing you to say, I'm okay. I'm okay. I can do this because I have the passion behind me. And I think that often, I think it's so important that we just realize that we are also important, mm. you know, it's that being kind to yourself notion, you know, like mm-hmm. we can be kind to the world, but are we really being kind to us?
0: I don't think we know how.
2: But exactly how we are kind to others, exactly what would we say? So if somebody came to us with a problem,
0: right, what would we say? But we are saying it now. Mm. To ourselves, mm. you're right. I think it's that inner dialogue, and I almost wanted to ask. I feel like in this season, in particular, I do not want to assume that any listener, like, understands and and even ourselves as hosts. So I almost want to ask the question: What is a boundary? Like, we know people always like set boundaries. There's a mean for everything, you know. What like, is what is a, a boundary? boundary? Can somebody tell me what a boundary is? What does it look like? Because I think, um, particularly. And I, and I i like i've said this in a previous season when I walked into corporate i didn't realize how boundaryless my profession was and how how much i expected people to to pervasively invade my boundaries because that was the context i come from nowhere in the world is it normal for a grown man or woman to walk up to you and open their legs to you because you're gonna help them but our our profession does that. I can be like Ma, take off your panty and there I am, speculum inside of you. Mm. And <laughs> then it's, it's just a little But I think it's those little, very, very subtle moments where we see ourselves pervasively invading people's personal boundaries that we that we come to a place where we might decide that people are allowed to do the same for me. Um And I wouldn't, I wouldn't naturally set a boundary for myself because I don't sit like there are places where I invade people's boundaries. And I think we just haven't had either the personal dialogue or the community dialogue to empower us to know what it looks like to set healthy boundaries in a setting where we really are a bit boundaryless. Like people can call you at 10 to be like, did you pull the blood? <laughs> Things like that happen every day to people. Yeah. So um, I you mean, really what is it, what's a model for boundary building for a clinician?
2: I think that's a very, very hard question.
0: It is. I mean, I it's,
2: it's a very hard question. And I think it also, it becomes such an individual notion mm. to, to set that up. And I think I, I, I don't want to say, and, and I don't want to, you know, put anything to like, in a in a bad perspective, but it's so hard to say that, okay, I'm going to work this to this hour. And then after that, it's just me. And what it do you often do? Nothing doesn't happen. It, and you, yeah. and, and to be honest is that if you were to say that, if you were to say, okay, I'm going to work from this time to this time and that's it. And after that, it's me. What does me look like?
3: Mm, very
2: good. What does it look like? Mm. Do we actually know?
1: ah. (laughs) Like, do we know what that space is? That's a big, big problem that, uh, for me, I mean, that's just a red flag that we have to ask ourselves that question, right? Yes. Because you don't even get to spend time with yourself. That's Mm. how porous your boundaries are. You don't even know what that looks like. that is a problem that, that is, is a problem. problem and i'm I think I'm becoming more of a advocate for for setting boundaries in the workplace mm-hmm. because there's something that just don't have to happen
3: mm-hmm.
1: there something is there is certain respect that needs to happen, and I think it only it only kind of gets infiltrated into the environment through being taught how to treat people, yeah. not taking certain behaviors. And it is very hard because we are in a workplace where there's a lot of bullying um, and where you're disempowered to a large extent. But there are certain working hours in place. Sometimes you stay at work late and maybe you'll finish at five, after five. But after that, when you leave the premises, why are you still calling me? before Mm. my work is done
3: Mm.
1: why can i not eat when the government has said i have 30 minutes to eat lunch (laughs) why is that a crime (laughs) do you know what i mean? right sometimes they take their tea break at 10 Mm. they take their lunch break at one and nothing will disrupt that time unless
0: unless it is a
1: recess yeah because every day is the same thing. There's always something going on and you will yeah. always eat. Yeah. You don't put those boundaries in place. And so, you know, I think as more generations are coming in of healthcare workers, they're getting a little bit more firm about that. Because I love it's, it. not, it's not going to yeah. kill anyone for you to have your lunch.
0: It's not. No one will no, die. That's right? very important. It's not that's
1: like that's you're going to stop important. compressing a chest to go eat, obviously. No, we won't do that. But at some point in the day, <laughs> you know, you to think for eight hours a day, you're not, <laughs> 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 you know, you're just not. So I, I do think that there's a space for those boundaries. And I do think that there's a space for unplugging because some of that, I think the root mm-hmm. of, of not being able to unplug after work is almost a sense of inadequacy, right? Like, why can't you just turn it off? What are you trying to prove?
2: Mm.
3: And to
1: who? What and more are you trying to do? And to, to who? To who?
2: But I also think, who? like with, like Precious, you're so right, right, in saying that, and that's something that I think is is so important. To share for medical students, because mm. I feel like as a student, mm-hmm. as the medical student, you are in, you have this to do, you have that to do, assignments, you have coursework, you have rounds, you have all of these different things. And that already, I think that workload already teaches you that you have to continue.
3: Mm. Yeah. You I have to stop. continue.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You can't I can't just have that. So yeah, exactly that. You can't mm. be sitting around, but that's so important to sit around. I promise you, I, I heard one of these other podcasts recently because I've become a podcast fan, um, mm. and <laughs> all because of you, Doctor L. All because of you. <laughs> so, and and they were talking about like just you don't have to meditate, you don't have to do yoga, you don't have to do all of these things, but if you can just sit by yourself, with yourself, for five minutes and you can put a timer, if you can do that without touching your computer, touching a game, touching all of that stuff and you just do that, what would that look like? Are we able to do that? Mm. Because I feel in this COVID space, it's everyone. They're doing six million things in their households. If you're not working, you're cooking. If you're not cooking, you're... You're, you're watching something that you, that are reruns on Netflix that you will consistently watch. Yes.
0: Revenge, <laughs> right? What did the, the article called it? Revenge,
1: what? Um, procrastination. Revenge, I, procrastination. I did it. Yes. Revenge. It's yes. like I'm claiming yes. my hours. Friends.
0: Friends. <laughs> <Prince. laughs>
2: Again. Friends. Again. Oh my gosh. Thank <laughs> you <remember? laughs>
3: Space. No, it's the okay. safe space. <laughs> the <It's laughs> safe space. It's a but also, like what you bring
1: up, what you bring up, I think, is important in that you know, speaking about just sitting down, having that five minutes to yourself, or just like doing nothing, because you know, it, often they speak about, in terms of, improving your mental health taking time to have gratitude, taking time for journey, yeah. taking time for meditation, like the top mm-hmm. three. And those things are important. And in essence, what they are doing is helping you connect with yourself, helping you hear yourself and just, just being with yourself, right? And when we speak about now, because we, at some point, we're asking ourselves, okay, so what is the next step? How do people help themselves? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't actually look the same for everyone. And even though we are trying to say, okay, we've got these resources, please reach out. Mm. The, that doesn't work for everyone. There are a mm. lot of ways in which you can actually tackle languishing. Um, and and counseling or formal counseling is not the only way. Right. And I think that's important to acknowledge. Yeah. Um, there are things where you immerse yourself and you feel like the world is switched off and you're on your own.
3: Mm. and those
1: things are personal and different for everyone it can be painting it can be sports it can be cooking it can be reading it's you know there are so many things and only you as an individual know what that is and unfortunately for some people their place of flow is not necessarily healthy might be alcohol might be drugs you know we it's it's different for everyone and so I think it's it's important for us to acknowledge that because just because we're seeing a, a low rate of reaching out, it doesn't mean that people aren't trying in other ways. Very true. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah I think that's absolutely on.
2: And reaching out, right, uh, uh, mm. Precious, when you said it, and it just, it just struck me, is that the one thing that, like whenever I do any talk, so when I, even when I'm doing a radio interview, it's always something like, you know, reaching out is so important. You know, mm-hmm. sharing that you're not okay is so important. But the thing is, it takes so much for mm-hmm. a person to actually dial those numbers. Yeah, exactly. To someone and say, I'm not feeling okay and I'm not doing okay. And I think often that, that, that action itself becomes so hard for someone to do that they'll stop midway. And 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 that's one of the reasons why I always like mention the SMS number because that's always like you know what now I'm gonna SMS and it's done, Mm. and then you're gonna get that call back, and that call back is sometimes someone else reaching out, and I think that's doing that other step. Mm. It's that magical space where I've made a baby step to reach out, yeah. Someone's making that bigger step for me, so so let me go ahead. And I think that's Mm. so
0: valuable. Powerful. So good. I love that. I also while you're speaking, I'm also thinking around, you know, what does it look like to encourage people to because I think part of the problem is that moment of self-awareness when you're like, gosh, I'm not fine. I need to take the step. And that personal labeling of yourself as being, you know, like having a broken wing um and something not being okay. I think even even that place of self-awareness can be really tricky and really hard. For you, Precious, for example, who's out like I said at the beginning of this podcast, you are a six out of ten. There are things that you're yeah. dealing with. What does it look like for you to boldly navigate the space of self-awareness and also self-redemption for lack of a better term? You know, where you're not just in a place where you are Aware of what's broken, but you're actively pursuing making it better. <laughs> Sorry, I just think
1: it's a big what's one. Are there in that space in It's a big one. I think I'm definitely I would say in parallel with building self-awareness. You know, I don't think I'm I'm hundred percent there, and I think it's a lifelong journey to be honest.
3: Okay.
1: And so I keep on identifying things that are almost pathological and in parallel, I'm trying to, trying to fix those things, you know, and I heard recently, I'm also a podcast person. And one of my favorite people is Brene Brown. So she was actually speaking about the lifelong process of, of, sort of self-care but also just working on yourself and becoming self-aware and you either you know this is what happens when you become an adult so obviously as you're a child there's a lot of input that you don't really have a say in Mm. and a lot of things that form you externally and then you reach a certain point where you're like oh okay I'm identifying these pathological things that I maybe inherited or you know developed from my my upbringing and then there comes a point where you make a choice. So am I going to work on these things or am I going to continue on this path of of pathology? And so for me, I'm in that place where I've realized that I'm kind of rebuilding those blocks of coping, rebuilding um some of those broken blocks as well. And I've accepted and given myself that grace that it's a lifelong journey. Mm. And that sometimes I will fall off that train, but I need to have that patience with myself to just keep going. And it's not going to be solved by 10 counseling sessions. And it's going to be a combination of things, right? So mm-hmm. counseling is one of those things, but also human connection and and gaining insights and lessons from other people. and And also personally finding my areas of flow it's a combination of those things. So I think the biggest thing that I'm, I'm taking away is that it's lifelong and that I need to give myself the time to do it. You know, sometimes you have to take a step out and and work on things acutely. And then there are some things that are just consistently every day. You have to decide to face that and create that on a daily basis. So I think that's, for
0: me, how I'm approaching self-redemption. Amazing. V, for you? Wow. Precious. Like so many.
2: It's, there was so much in there that I, <laughs> I, I absolutely love. And I think it's so, it's so valuable that you as a medical doctor can share that. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's so important that those words come up and, you know, like when those words pop up in your mind, like almost, like you know, when there's stars go around, you should have those words that pop up. Like, yeah. you know, create that little mind map of words. And I think mm. it's you know, that self-awareness and that being kind to yourself and you know that daily changing something small every mm. day mm-hmm. it makes a big difference. Because I know I've I've read this somewhere that um it takes twenty-one days to create a habit. Mm. And if we do that, if we literally do that, we create a habit and we actually actively put that alarm on and we say that, you know what, we're going to take this much time for ourselves and we're going to do this and we're going to focus on this and we're actually going to do projects and things like that that we're passionate about all the time. Mm -hmm. We will be able to sort of get out of that languishing space, but it's definitely a journey. Like even with me, all the things that I've learned and the, my space at SADAG and why I'm there and why I love it, even though it's a very big space and a big platform is because Mm. you still have that passion. And I think Mm. if we can just keep that passion going and make that small steps, that daily small steps of saying, you know, I'm looking after myself, but I'm also looking after my passion and it's Mm. to let that passion grow. So that we can grow. Because mm. when you were children, you're absolutely right. We didn't have a choice. You know, our parents told us, okay, do this. This is what you do. You go to school. This is the time you eat. Mm. School had lunch breaks, things like that. Now mm. we have to create that for ourselves.
3: Mm.
2: Exactly. We have to create it. And I think that routine, if we can build some sort of routine, being an adult, mm. I think would really, really serve us. Even if it's snack time, like snack time. <laughs> you have your snack, guys. You know, I mean, it's important. It's important. We're nourishing our bodies so that we can nourish our minds. And I think that's a very valuable space.
0: Mm, definitely. So, oh. Amazing ladies, I think you guys have said a lot like I said you threw my script out the door but I think we still <laughs> had <laughs> a very valuable conversation. I obviously can't close an episode without asking you a question and I mean the emotion word for today was languishing and I hope that everybody who was listening found a way to learn about what it like to identify for themselves. Please read the article if you can but one of the questions that I did prepare that I'd like to ask you and you may have answered it in part already is if you could redeem yourself from this emotion of languishing right now, what's one thing you would do for yourself? And I guess what I'm really asking is what's one way you're being kind to yourself today that you'd like to share with people? I think
2: that today has been a long day. (laughs) (laughs) When you say today, today has been a long day. I think definitely, you know, trying to do even if it's a 10 minute yoga session in front of the mirror, that would be mine, just before I go to sleep. I think that would be definitely my space,
1: especially for, for today. Are you precious? Mine's superficial. Mm, grooming mm.
3: today.
1: My skin was just battling. Nice. Uh, <laughs> my skin was battling. So I treated my skin mm-hmm. down to a nice face mask and just Got rid of hair. And that actually made such a big difference. Something so superficial made such a big difference. For me today, that was how I was kind to myself. Gave myself time.
0: Gave yourself. Oh, I love it. For mm. me, mm. just going back to your point of grooming. I mean, I agree. Like my mood changed when I got my nails done on Saturday. I was, just like, yeah. oh, I'm alive again. I was
2: looking at that.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. i jealous. i alive again. Like. So great. <laughs> That's actually the one thing I miss, actually, to be honest. Because it was my monthly routine. Yes. Every or every three weeks I would do that. And that is the one thing I miss, I won't lie.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no. It's these little moments of being kind to ourselves that are important. Mm. And I think for me, my one thing today was giving myself permission. So I'm really trying hard to exercise, particularly because Mm -hmm. I had a really long ankle injury. And exercise was was not an option for a long time. So i have been picking that up again. But I was just struggling with fatigue today and giving myself permission. <laughs> today looked like taking the walk while having the free toes and the energy because I felt like doing them yes. all. So, <laughs> yes, I wanted to jog, but actually <laughs> I wanted free toes. So I yes. thought I'll burn the calories while I walk and we'll take it from there. So just That's uh-huh. so kind.
3: Like, so nice. yeah, you are nice. kind
0: to yourself. Yeah, you yeah. showed up, right? Yeah. I showed up, you know what? I got on the road, and that was something it's, I couldn't do before. To Dr. Before. Way. I'll remember that. <laughs> <laughs> <Hopefully not laughs> that. Walking way. I'm gonna write that Hopefully down somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it looked like to me. It just looked like being gentle, not pushing the feeling away, not punishing myself for. For having that desire, but for navigating it in the authenticity of what it was and trying again
1: tomorrow. So, yeah, I'm sorry, I know we're at the end, but <laughs> okay. um,
2: you. I knew you were gonna say
1: something, <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. I know, I know it at the end, but I think I'd also like Lerato's opinion personal opinion
3: hmm. about
1: your journey of self redemption.
0: What does that look like to you? Girl. I love it. Oh, man. That is a big question. See, I don't like it when you guys ask me the questions. I feel really? so, <laughs> <laughs> so much easier when I don't have to do the talking. Um, <laughs> oh, it's been a really, really long journey. And I think the central word for me definitely is permission. It's mm. been a lot of giving myself permission to acknowledge giving myself permission to notice I loved what you said about you know I think it was something Brene Brown highlighted about you 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 get to identify that there are pathologies and you make choices Mm. about Mm. what it means when you see those pathologies and I resonate so deeply with that as well I think for me it's it's being open to seeing the pathologies to to asking myself about their origins to choosing to decide that I want to identify that way anymore or not and then making a decision about what it looks like to pursue something different and I think the journey of self-redemption for me has also rested a lot in again giving myself permission to have a crap first draft of a try Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. my walk my walk today is, is a great example I had every intention to run 2k's but my crap first draft of that attempt of picking up 2K juggles again might look like walking 2Ks first mm. and doing it with vetoes in hand. Um, and, and I think I've definitely struggled with the standard being perfection instead of progress. So the journey of self redemption for me has been being able to remind myself about what it looked like to progress versus what it looked like to be perfect. And so mm. a practical way I'm doing that now, particularly in my my um, journey of health is recording weekly my progress. So it takes a lot of effort to measure my centimeters, but if I can look back on my progress rather than how close I am to perfect, I can acknowledge Mm. that I've made a difference um, to my journey and to myself. And I try to apply that in all areas of my life. So I think for a long time, I didn't set goals because I felt like I had to fight to reach the standard of perfection, but setting the goals has has actually liberated me into breaking things up into steps and then giving myself time to 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 pursue them. And I think also finding safe relational spaces to acknowledge where I am and what I struggle with has been hugely beneficial for me. But I think self redemption, like for you, has been in it's a, it's going to be a lifelong journey. There are definitely places where I'm still struggling, but for me, it's been about giving myself permission giving myself permission to to have crap first drafts and then not being so married to the solution I defined first that I can't let it go. So always always iterating, you know, always, always acknowledging and noticing when my pace is changing, when my rhythm is changing, or when my desire is changing. And I don't want to do mm-hmm. that anymore. Because I think what we don't recognize, and I also read this recently in a book that I'm reading, is that our most authentic versions are not the same so authentic me at 18 is not authentic me at 29 will not yes. be authentic me at 45 yes and so exactly. giving myself permission again to recognize that i can change i can be different mm. i can look back on versions of myself and disagree that actually mm. i i I completely followed or agreed with that me- method of coping before but now i, I don't think i agree with that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i'm gonna oh, yeah I'm going to pursue a different version. So I think also giving myself permission for my authenticity to change. So I think for me, that journey of self-redemption has been a lot of God. If you know me, you know that that's the center of my all. But I think that relationship has taught me that it's all about permission. And I remember there was a phrase I wrote just two days ago, I think, when I was looking over my day and I felt this feeling of like serendipity and joy and And I think it's the second time I felt it this year and it felt so rare and I was trying to study like, like why, like nothing is perfect. And Mm. the words that came from my soul, I believe were nothing needs to be, it's good. And you can just take that. It it doesn't have to be perfect to be good Mm
3: -hmm. and you can just
0: enjoy it for what it is. Yes, it's not perfect. Yes, it's not fixed, but it's good. So I think for me, the journey of self-redemption has been layered in permission, layered in reflection, and layered in giving myself, like yourself, the option to choose and to change because we can. Yes. I love yeah. that
2: change. So deep. It's, like, yeah. it's okay to change. It's okay, okay to not, you know, it's okay to change. It's okay to adapt. Yep. It's okay yeah. if it's not okay right now. It's okay, but I'm yes. going to be okay, so let's
1: just try it. Yep. And perfectionism is the enemy, exactly the enemy that. The there. There is no
2: yeah. there is no perfect, perfect of perfect.
0: And one of my favorite favorites is, is being imperfect doesn't mean you do some things perfectly. It means you do everything imperfectly. And that really liberated oh, wow. me to just be like, actually there's nothing it's on perfect. the radar that I do perfectly. It mm. doesn't mean I can't try. Yeah. <laughs> so being imperfect doesn't mean I get something more perfect than others. It just means all of it's going to be imperfect. It mm. doesn't mean I can't offer excellence. That doesn't mean I can't offer my best in those spaces and that it won't be received as such. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. Thank Very you, lady. This was deep. a good conversation. I love sharing mm. with you guys. <laughs> I always love and these therapy. conversations. I won't
2: lie. This is uh, my favorite space.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, ladies. Can't wait to keep doing this with you for the next uh, seven episodes now. And uh, look forward to hearing what our experts have to say on how we can actually work towards navigating languishing. I appreciate your time. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you.